Welcome and happy Easter. Um, it's so good to see you. Um, we want to celebrate this afternoon. We want to celebrate because Jesus is alive, because the tomb is empty, because death has been defeated. And what we're going to do this afternoon is something a little bit different. If you're used to being at Globe Church, this is going to be a bit different. If you're not used to being here, <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at three different reasons this afternoon that we should celebrate Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to do that in three bits. So I'm going to, we're going to look at a bit, then we're going to sing and worship, we're going to look at a bit more and then sing, and we're going to look at a bit more and sing. That's how we're going to do it this afternoon. Um, kids are going to stay in for the first bit, then they're going to go out um, in, the, in the next song. But what I want us to do is, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, and when people started talking about him, what you discover is that they didn't just call him Jesus. In fact, when you read through the Bible, he keeps being called the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is say that's not just a random name that he happens to have. Each of those parts tells us something about Jesus. And each of them actually only works if he was raised from the dead. So we're going to take one of those bits in each section. We're going to think about what does it mean, and then we're going to worship and sing and thank him for it. So I hope that makes some sense. We're going to start with Lord. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, he is Lord. Now, we're going to jump around a little bit, but if you've got a Bible, why not turn to page 1094, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, a man called Peter is preaching about the resurrection. He's got a great crowd in front of thousands of people, and he's telling them about the resurrection. And let me just go from um, verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can confidently tell you that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. But David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So there are the three names all in that last verse. Did you hear them? This Jesus is Lord and Messiah or Christ. They're the same word. Lord Jesus Christ. But what do we mean when we call Jesus Lord? 
Well, what's the most precious thing you own? What's the most valuable thing you have? I'm not necessarily talking in terms of money. What is it that you own that you say, this is so precious to me? This, this is the thing that I would place greatest worth on. I wonder what it is that you would say that is in your life. Well, when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are saying that Jesus has infinite and absolute worth. That he is worthy. You see, to call Jesus Lord is a massive thing. Back in the Old Testament, um, way before Jesus was born in Isaiah, um, don't worry about turning to it, but just listen to these words. This is what God says. Um, God speaks and he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Do you hear that? I am the Lord. God says, I am the Lord. There's no other. Apart from me, there is no God. And that is what the testimony of the Bible constantly is. There is one God and he is Lord. He is the one who created all things. He's the one who is all beautiful, all powerful. He's the one who's all majestic. One Lord. He is God. And then we say that Jesus is Lord. Do you not not see that's quite a big thing, quite a big name to call Jesus? Your Lord. And it speaks of his worth. One of the things I think um, that we can be in danger of in our culture is asking, about 20, 30 years ago, it used to be the case that you would ask the question, is this true? Is it true? Right, that would be the main question. When you hear something, you want to know, is that true? I think our culture has shifted a bit from that. I think more often now, our culture says something like, but is, does it work? Is it worth it? Does this idea, does this worldview? Does this philosophy work? Not so much now, is it true, but does it work for me? And so we can have a tendency, I think, to approach Jesus and go, does Jesus work for me? Do I want Jesus? Do I like Jesus? Does he benefit me? Quite a mercenary sort of approach, right? So when you thought of what was most valuable to you, It's funny because some of the things that we think are worth something to us are worth something because they're useful to us. Right? So some things we value because of their usefulness to us. So for example, it may be that your television is one of the most precious things you own. Why? Because it entertains you. It's satisfying. I'm sure that none of you said you're television. I'm not, I'm not accusing you of being that superficial. I'm just making a point. But it may be that something like that, and you go, it, it's, it does this for me. And therefore, this thing is worthy because it satisfies me. And sometimes we attribute worth to that which benefits us. 
And so if we go through life with that sort of mindset, we come to Jesus and we say, well, does Jesus benefit me? Does he help me? Is he worthy? Does he, do I get anything from him? But when we call Jesus Lord, we're saying he is worthy not because of what he will do for you, but because of who he is. Do you see the difference? So I guess it's like going to see the crown jewels. You, I don't know if you've been to see the crown jewels. You stand in front of the crown jewels and there's a sparkly, sparkly thing. And you go, wow. It's superficial, I know. But, you know, there it is, sparkling. And soon it will be on King Charles's head and we can all go, sparkly. And uh, there it is, right? And we look at it and we go, wow, it's so priceless. It does you no good at all, Right? There is no way in which that crown jewel sitting in that cabinet is benefiting you in any way. The worth is intrinsic to its value. Do you see the difference? Your television is benefiting you. The crown jewels actually aren't benefiting you, but they are still amazing. When we call Jesus Lord, what we are saying is that Jesus is the one who is in his very essence God. And therefore, he has an intrinsic value and worth. Therefore, we worship him not because of what he will do for us, but because of who he is. We worship him because he is worthy of our worship. He's worthy. But to call Jesus Lord is not simply to say, wow, Jesus, you're amazing and you're worthy. There is something even more going on here. And we will miss this slightly, I think, in in our culture. But when this was first said, to declare that Jesus was Lord was a politically subversive thing to say. Because in Rome, there was already a Lord, Caesar. And Roman citizens um, had to declare allegiance to Caesar. They would declare... Caesar is Lord. And now here comes another rival called Jesus, and now the Christians are saying, Jesus is Lord. Do you see there's a bit of a clash there? And the trouble is, when you use the word Lord, it is an absolute term. You can't have more than one Lord. You can only have one. And so if you are going to say, Jesus is Lord... You are saying no to all the other lords that might want to be part of your life. It is a declaration of allegiance. A little bit like, I guess, on my wedding day when Lynch and I got married and the the person marrying us said to me, will you take this woman to be your wife, forsaking all others, will you be faithful to her? And I said, I will. On that day, I said no to every other woman in the world. They were stood outside, (laughs) great big long line of them stretching back into the distance. And as I said, I will, they all went home weeping. (laughs) Because I declared my allegiance and my loyalty. That's not true, by the way. But you see, right, we live in a world where so many things would say, let me be your Lord. Worship me. 
So many things that we might say, perhaps I'll find my satisfaction in, in my pleasure. I'll find my satisfaction in my money, in my career, in my relationships. I'll find my satisfaction in something. And we say, no, this is Lord. And Jesus says, no, I'm Lord. I'm Lord. And therefore, you declare allegiance to him. You say, Jesus, what you say, I will do. Where you say, I will go. Jesus, your Lord. That's pretty tough. Because I don't mind Jesus sort of being part of my life. I don't mind Jesus being an advisor in my life who comes along and says, hey, John T, why don't you think about this? But I like to be Lord, right? I like to have the final say. I'll get some advice. I'll listen to what Jesus says. Jesus, what do you think? But then I will decide, no, I'm in charge. I'm Lord. But here's the deal. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's Lord. If Jesus rose from the dead, what he says goes. If Jesus rose from the dead, he he is the Lord and there is no other. He is God and there is none like him. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, forget it. But if he did, then he's Lord. So this afternoon, this Easter Sunday, I wonder, is Jesus Lord in our lives? Are we prepared to say, Jesus, forsaking all others, you're Lord? That's pretty challenging. And I get that for some of us here, this would be very new. For some of us, perhaps we're not used to being in church. That's okay. Listen to this stuff. Think it through for yourself. But some of us, we've heard this loads of times before. And reality is, in the last few months, some of us have been living, haven't we, like, no, I'm Lord. And Easter Sunday says, no, Jesus is Lord. So we're going to take some time. We're going to sing. We're going to respond. And we're going to think, what does it mean to call Jesus Lord this afternoon? And to submit ourselves to him and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. So why don't we stand? We're going to sing, I praise the name of the Lord our God. Kids, you've done brilliantly. Um, You're going to head out for um, your groups. Yes. Listen to the joy. Um, Well done, guys. But we're going to stand. And let's use these words just to sing and to um, respond to what we're hearing. So if Easter tells us that Jesus is Lord, it also tells us and helps us to understand his name, Jesus. He is Lord Jesus Christ. So what does the name Jesus mean? Why is Jesus given that name? I guess if all we had was Jesus, the kind of Lord idea, then you could end up with this idea that he is a very powerful being, that he's God, but he's very distant from us. Here's what the name Jesus means. If Lord tells you his worth, then Jesus tells you his humility that he was willing to take the name Jesus. See, as Lord, he has always been Lord. He's God. He's always been God. He's the one who brought creation into being. But he hasn't always had the name Jesus. He was given the name Jesus when he was born. And this might sound strange to you, but Jesus isn't that unusual a name. There was quite a lot of kids called Jesus in Jesus' class at school. 
you know, as you did the register, it's just quite a common name. It, was, it wasn't an unusual name in the day. It came from it's the same, basically the same name as Joshua. So if you imagine how many Joshuas there were in your class at school, you know, it's like that. Jesus, 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 tick, tick, tick. They're all here, all the Jesuses. It was the name he was given as a little kid. It's the name that when he was running around as a three-year-old, that his mum and dad would shout to him, Jesus, it's time for dinner. It's just so ordinary, right? The name Jesus, it has this beautiful simplicity to it. And you've got to hold these two things together. He is Lord, creator of all things, and he's Jesus, the little boy. Can you imagine them calling him in for dinner? You're calling the creator of the universe. Jesus, it's time for dinner. And if you struggle to get your head around that, I'm not surprised. It is the greatest miracle of all that God, the Lord, would become Jesus, the man. What a miracle. He's Jesus. And that means he's not some distant person with some weird, odd name out there that we could never truly know. He's one of us with a name like us. I know not many people call their kids Jesus anymore. I get that, and I understand why. It would feel slightly arrogant, wouldn't it, to say, what if you called your child? I've called him Jesus. (laughs) But it is very ordinary because he became one of us. And this name, Jesus, it tells us that he has become like us. He's entered into our experience of this world. He knows what it's like to grow older. He knows what it's like to fall over and scrape a knee. He knows what it's like to do some carpentry and suddenly the wood splits and it didn't go right. He knows what it's like to be in this world. He knows what it's like to stub your toe or to get thirsty or to get hungry or perhaps for one of your friends to get sick. He knows what it's like because his name is Jesus. If he was just Lord then he'd be so distant that he'd have no idea. But because he's Jesus, he knows. He knows what it's like to be disappointed. He knows what it's like to be frustrated. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows. Because his name is Jesus. And Jesus means he became one of us. He became like us. He had a name like ours. He's Jesus. But this name, Jesus, there is something about it. It wasn't completely random. Mary and Joseph didn't sit around going, oh, what should we call him? What would sound nice? They had actually been told this was the name you have to call him. An angel appeared and said to Joseph, Joseph, you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because the name Jesus means... The Lord saves. And this baby gurgling around in the cot, this baby, this three-year-old toddling around coming in for dinner, this 20-year-old learning how to do carpentry, he is the Lord who had come to save his people, to save his people from their sins. This is the heart, right, of what we believe. 
the Lord Jesus. Jesus, one of us. This is why you can go to the Holy Land. You can walk the same streets Jesus walked. You can see the same views that Jesus saw because he lived in this world like one of us. He walked our road. And he walked our road all the way to a cross where he died. That was what we considered on Good Friday. You see, God cannot die because he's God, right? The Lord cannot die. But if the Lord becomes Jesus, well, now he can. Now, Jesus in his humanity, the man Christ Jesus, dies. That's what we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate the fact that the Lord Jesus died for us. And when Jesus died, he was dying to save you. He was dying to save you. That's what it was all about. And you may say, well, I don't know if I do need saving. Look around this world. We desperately need saving. Look at the evil that happens in our world. Look at the suffering all around us in this world. Look at the pain. Look at the death all around us in this world. This world is screwed. This world is a mess. And we're desperately trying to fix it. And we're fiddling around. And human beings, because we think we're Lord, we're desperately trying to fix it. But we're failing. And we're failing miserably. We desperately need saving. That's what Jesus means. He saves us. And to be honest with you, it's not just the world. It's not look around the world. Look, at, look inside me. I need saving. I need saving because I live my life like I'm Lord. I screw things up. I make a mess of things. And one day I will die. I need saving. That's Jesus. You see, because I think that I'm Lord, because I try and take control, because I want to be in charge, everything is broken in this world. And God, the one true Lord, is rightly displeased and angry with what we have done. But that's why Jesus came. To save us. So this Easter, we don't just say, Jesus, you're Lord and you're worthy. We say, Jesus, you're Jesus and I need you to save me. I need you to be my savior. But look, here's the thing, right? If Jesus had died on Good Friday and stayed dead, we'd have all gone who cares? Just another bloke. Just another man who came along with some interesting ideas and is dead. But on Easter Sunday morning, something happened. When the women went to the tomb and they saw the stone had been rolled away and they went into the, to the tomb, they saw that Jesus was not there. He had been risen. He'd been raised to life again. Now, here's the key bit, right? Who was raised? 
Was just the Lord raised, but the body left behind? No, the one who was raised was the Lord Jesus. That is, it was the man, Jesus, who was raised. It was the man, the human being, the same little three-year-old who'd run around and been called in for dinner, now was raised and back to life again. It's not like... Now, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. This is going to sound really bad because I'd, honestly, I'd thought of this illustration before someone broke their arm today. Um, so I'm very sorry to the person who broke their arm today. But anyway, um, right, it's a bit like when you... Ha- <laughs> this is so bad now. It's a bit like when you break your arm, right? And, um, and you get, it was all wrapped up in plaster and stuff, and, it, and it, the plaster's there, and the plaster saves your arm. It heals your arm, and it helps your arm to, to fix. But what you do is you don't then keep the plaster on forever, right? Okay, you, you cut the plaster off and you chuck the plaster away because that's now done away with. And, and I wonder if sometimes we sort of imagine that Jesus came and he was a little human being for a little while, but then he was done with his body, chucked that off, and then he could go and be spirit again and go and be God again. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus, his body was raised. And the reason this matters is because I think in the next few years, we're going to see an increasing disregard for the human body. As we experience kind of virtual reality where you can experience the world disembodied. You don't need your body anymore. It's now not impossible to imagine a future where you could all be plugged. I know this sounds freaky, but you could all be plugged in and we don't need our bodies and we can experience the life we want. That is already the stuff of science fiction and it's beginning to be the stuff of reality, right? Why do we react so strongly against it? Because we are embodied people. Our bodies matter. And yet we live in a world where we struggle with that. And often we want to escape our bodies and anything that we can just, oh, this stupid body, I hate my body, I just want to get rid of it. The message of the first Easter day when Jesus rose from the dead is that the human body is a precious thing. That Jesus The Lord dignified our humanity by becoming one of us. He dignified our bodies by taking a human body. God became one of us. And when he lived his 33 years and then when he died, he didn't say, well, thank goodness for that. I can get rid of it. Instead, he said, I think I'll wear this forever. I'll keep this forever. Because God's great plan is to save not just your soul, but all of you. Not just to save you so that spiritually you can go to heaven when you die, but to save you in such a powerful, profound, physical way that just like he raised Jesus' body to life, he will raise us. Our bodies are saved with Jesus. I know this is big stuff, and it may be too much for Easter Sunday, but you've got to see the goodness of what it is to be human. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he raised as a human. And then he returned to heaven, and an angel said, as he returned to heaven, an angel said, this same Jesus will come back again. The human Jesus will come back. That's our hope. He's still a human being. He is now in heaven with his Father. 
but he's still one of us. He still is called Jesus, and he will bear that name forever. He has a body. And so as we live in this frustrating world with frustrating bodies where things go wrong and bits ache and things fall out and all of this sort of stuff, and it's so frustrating... Know that Jesus became one of us, and he's still one of us, because on Easter Sunday morning, he rose, his body rose, and he's still Jesus. So he's Lord, and therefore, we want to honor and worship him, but he's also Jesus, his humility, he became one of us, and he says this afternoon, trust me, trust me to save you. You're not Lord. You don't save yourself, Jesus says. Let me save you. This afternoon, let him save you. In all your frustration, in all your struggle, in all your pain, in all your disappointment, let Jesus save you this afternoon. And even if you've done it a thousand times before, say to him again, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you. That's why he came. We're going to take a moment um, to pray, um, and then Katia is going to come and lead us in prayer, um, and then we're going to sing again. Um, but let's, yeah, Katia, do you want to come to the front? And uh, we're going to pray, and let's take some time just to reflect and to worship Jesus, because he's Jesus. Well, we've thought about Jesus as Lord. We've thought about his worth. Jesus, his humility. And finally, let's think about Jesus as Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ, the name Christ, tells us of his victory. The name Christ tells us of his all-conquering, all-powerful reign. Just to be clear that Christ and Messiah, they're the same words. Christ is the Greek version. They're the same words. They mean the same thing. They mean the anointed king. And on Easter Sunday morning, as Jesus smashed his way out of the grave, he was declared with power to be the Christ, the king. So let me say this carefully, and I, but I do want to just push us on this. If our view of what Jesus, Jesus did at Easter is simply that Jesus died on a cross so that I could be forgiven, so that I could go to heaven when I die, our view of Jesus is too small. That's not enough. <laughs> because yes, that tells us that he's Savior, but he's Christ. He rules, he reigns, he's king. And what I mean by that is that the whole storyline, and we haven't got long enough to do this properly, so we're going to have to do this fast, but the whole storyline of the Bible finds its climax in this moment when Jesus is announced and proclaimed to be the Christ. This is the one we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for him. The whole storyline of the Bible has been promising that someone's coming. Ever since humanity decided that 
God would not be Lord and that we would be Lord ever since we screwed things up. The Bible's been saying, but someone's coming. Someone's coming. There's someone coming who is going to put things right. Someone who is going to defeat the enemy. Someone who is going to rescue his people. Someone who's going to establish a kingdom that will last forever. There's someone coming. And you keep meeting people in the Bible and you keep thinking, is this it? Is this the one? I guess, you know, you just, we're not going to do all the way through the Bible, but, you know, as you sort of troddling through the pages, you get to Noah. You go, is Noah the one? Is Noah the Christ? Is Noah the one who's going to put everything right? It looks like he might be, but then he screws up. So it can't be Noah. We'd better go on a bit. Abraham, perhaps it's Abraham. He looks good. This seems like it might be Abraham. And God makes promises to Abraham. I think this is it. This is it. This is the Christ. But God says, no, it's not you, Abraham, but it will be one of your descendants. And so now the storyline's picking up. We know that it's going to be from the family line of Abraham that the Christ will come. So now we're zooming in on this one family because from this one family will be the Christ who will save all of humanity. So now we're following the line of Abraham. On we go through the Bible. Is it going to be Isaac? No. Is it going to be Jacob? No. Is it going to be one of Jacob's 12 sons? No. Although it looks like, oh, I keep thinking, oh, nearly. No, no. On we go. Is it going to be Moses? No. Yes, Moses does bring his people out of slavery, but it's not Moses. So on we go. Is it going to be Joshua? No. Who's it going to be? And on and on and on. And you begin to think, where is this one? Where is the one? Where's the Messiah? Where's the Christ? Where's the one who's going to bring everything and put it right? And then suddenly, suddenly you get David. King David. He's the king. And he wins great battles. And he takes on giants. And when giants come, like Goliath, against God's people, David goes into battle. And David defeats the enemy and conquers the enemy and saves God's people. He says, perhaps it's David. And God says, almost, but no. But David, it will be someone from your family. So on we wait, and on we wait, and the years pass, and kings come, and kings go, and still we're waiting, and then the prophets begin to speak, and the prophets say, yes, there's still one coming, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, he's coming, he's coming, this is the Christ, a little child is going to be born, who's it going to be? Until eventually you get to the dark streets of Bethlehem and Jesus is born. And Jesus is proclaimed to be this Christ. But to be honest, he looks really rubbish. He doesn't look very powerful. David had a big army. Jesus had 12 ropey disciples. David had vast wealth. Jesus owned nothing. David had so much going for him, Jesus just didn't look as good. But the first words that Jesus spoke, (laughs) talk about this as an opening line to your life's ministry. He stood up and he said, the kingdom of God has come near. 
Listen, listen, please listen to me. Jesus did not, his opening line was, oh, you poor, poor people, God loves you, I've come to die and save you. That's not his opening line. His opening line was something much bigger. The kingdom has come near. What kingdom? Well, the kingdom that God's been promising, the moment when he would send his Messiah, his Christ, to put all things right. When he would reverse the curse. When he would take people from darkness to light. The kingdom, the kingdom that we've been waiting for, for pages and pages of scripture, for thousands and thousands of years, Jesus says, I'm here. Think, well, anyone can claim that, right? I mean, anyone can say, oh, yeah, I'm the Messiah. But what then Jesus started to do was to do demonstrations to prove it. He started defeating things that humans can't defeat. Here comes someone who's sick. Jesus defeats sickness. I can't defeat sickness. It defeats me every time. I lie in bed. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm so ill. Sickness wins. But when Jesus comes, he defeats that enemy. Jesus defeats a storm as a mighty storm rages and threatens to kill the disciples. Jesus stands up in a boat and goes, quiet, be still. He defeats it. Why? Because he's the Messiah who's bringing order to the chaos. He's the all-powerful Messiah who is restoring the shalom, the peace of God's kingdom into this chaotic world. He meets a father whose little girl has died. And Jesus takes death head on, and he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And Jesus, the Messiah, defeats even death. But all of those are just little signs. They're not the full thing, right? Because there were still sick people, and there were still people dying, and there's still people who are hungry. Jesus has come to do more. They were just a little sign of what he's doing. And then, and then on Good Friday, as he died on a cross, He was dying as the king, the Messiah. And if you'd understood, if they'd understood all that he told them, they should have been waiting for his resurrection. They should have looked at each other and said, okay, he's the Messiah, he's going to rise again. Because you can't kill the Messiah. Because the Messiah wins. And so at the cross, Jesus goes into battle with death itself. Jesus and death. They battle it out, and death seems to overcome Jesus. Death seems to win as it sucks Jesus down into the grave. But there's this great verse that says, It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Why? Because he's the Messiah. And as Jesus came out of the grave, Jesus declared to all the world, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Jesus has defeated even death. And that means, right, that means if Easter is true, if Jesus walked out of the grave, that means not I'll go to heaven when I die. What it means is that right now, the kingdom of God has come. That right now, there is a king who is bringing about his kingdom, where he is calling people to come into his kingdom. To anyone. Come be part of this kingdom. 
this kingdom of life. Come be part of this. Come share my victory. You see, that's the deal, right? We all know this. If your king wins, then you win. If your football team wins, you win. Right? We know that. We share the victory. If Jesus has won, we share his victory, which means that we can live in this world not as cynical pessimists, but as hopeful, joyful, confident citizens of a new kingdom. There's so much cynicism in our world. And we get it in our own hearts, don't we? Oh, this is, everything's going wrong. Everything's rubbish. Everything's going to disaster. Everything's disaster. Actually, if Jesus rose from the dead, we say, no, there's a kingdom. We're part of the kingdom. And what does London desperately need? London desperately needs to hear this news. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope. There's glorious hope. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. Therefore, therefore, there's hope. We don't have to be cynical. That's what Christ means. He's the king. And his kingdom has been established. And one day his kingdom will last forever and ever. So we live now in the light of that kingdom. And that's what gives us hope. So there's Lord Jesus Christ. It's a big name, right? And that's only scratching the surface. But here's what gives us hope. And I I hope perhaps as you go into this week, you could take hold of one of those. He's Lord. I want to be loyal to him this week. He's Jesus. I I want to trust him to save me this week. He's Christ. I want him to be the king. I want to be hopeful. I want to be optimistic. I want to go go into my workplace and do my job tomorrow as a citizen of the kingdom. Do good in this city because the kingdom of God has come. Why don't we pray together? And then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Easter. Thank you that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the long-awaited one. Thank you that he's the one who's brought the great victory. Thank you that in a world that's full of hopelessness and despair, in a world that is increasingly cynical, Easter Sunday tells us that we have hope, that we belong to a kingdom, a kingdom that is glorious. Our Father, please help us to live as citizens of that kingdom this week. In Jesus' name, amen.